I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. Genesis 22. Hey, welcome back to the Grace Ops Podcast. We, I am so excited today about what we're going to lay out. I'm in the studio with a very special man of God. I'm going to introduce him in a moment. But we are very passionate about this topic of possessing the gates. And it's an honor to be here today with David Robinson. He's been a passionate fire of leader since 1966, all the way back when they had eight tracks. And uh, he, he remembers just when the cassettes, cassette tapes were starting to come out. And there might even be people on this podcast that don't even know what either of those are. And uh, David Robinson is uh, an author of five, uh, seven books. He's authored seven books. And his skills range in all kinds of ways from executive leadership coaching, staff development, process development, team building, and client vendor relations. This, I'm sitting here with an amazing man, and we're going to do as many podcasts together as he'll allow me to do. <laughs> but before I introduce him and let him talk uh, and kind of introduce himself a bit, we have a mutual friend in Texas, and it's really awesome because our friend Steve was like, he called me probably two years ago or so, and he's like, Brian, you got to meet David Robinson. He's up in your area. And I'm like, okay give me his number, you know, and it took a month or two. And then I finally got his number. I called him and we talked a little bit. We never really got the connection going, but it was in God's timing. And just a week or two ago, I came to a meeting that uh, David was speaking at and not, not being sharp enough to remember uh, who he was or that, that he was the guy that Steve was telling me about. So we're in a meeting and he gets up to speak and he starts to speak about possessing the gates. And he's got my attention right out of the shoots. Cause I wrote the same style message, same scriptures, you know, it's not a popular message. And I'm like, where, what in the heck is going on here? So I'm all fired up with them in the foyer afterwards. I'm like, I'm like, bro, look at my phone. Look at these notes. It's like almost the same message. And that's what Steve would say. He's like, you guys are a lot alike. You'd like each other. You know what I'm like? I'm like, all right, well, I got to meet him. Well, David, about three or four minutes into our foyer conversation in this room, this uh, building we're in, he, he says, uh, he said, you know, Steve, don't you? <laughs> so David, um, welcome to the podcast. I'm honored to actually get to know you. You live up to everything and even more that Steve Wilson told me about. So if you would just introduce yourself and it's just an honor to have you with us in this uh, podcast today. Well, Brian, it's, it's an honor for me to be here today and to be in the presence of a young man who uh, is that next generation. When I roll past 60, uh, the Lord said, now I want you to become a father, and no longer are you a warrior. And so at first I resisted that, and then I thought, no, nah, that sounds pretty good. So now I just dress the young warriors, um, pray with them, pat them on the back, send them out to war, and I say, I'll be here when you get home. Right. <laughs> and so uh, it's been a number of years since then. But uh, Brian, I really appreciate the opportunity to share with your audience today. Um, when I came back from Southeast Asia, 1966, and I got out of the airport, Travis Air Force Base, California, and got spit on and called a baby killer, mm. I went to the first men's room I could find and got out of my uniform. And I thought flying back home, because I lived on the East Coast at the time, I said, Lord, this is not the country that I went over there to defend that I remember. So just in the two years that I was gone, 
the country changed dramatically. And um, long story short, I knelt at an altar that Labor Day weekend at a youth camp. And I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Wherever you want me to go, I'm willing to go. Little did I know the journey that my wife and I would take all these years. And um, just a few years ago, we had an RV dealership here in the Chicago area. Long story how we got into that, but I had 37 employees. We were doing about $60 million in sales. Nice. And uh, it was my son's dream, but he's a great salesman, and they usually don't make good managers. You have to kind of keep <laughs> them in the, uh, you know, in the guardrails. But anyhow, uh, it was a great three years uh, of not only just selling RVs, but the opportunity to share Christ with so many people uh, through that RV dealership. And so after three years, I said, son, you just need to go sell somewhere. I said, I didn't sign up for this. And and I'm in my study, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, he said, I want you to become a coach for both marketplace leaders and church leaders. And I said, well, marketplace leaders, they, they know pretty well about coaching, but church leaders, they, that's going to be a new term with them. <laughs> he said, well, that's what I want you to do. But that's what I want you to more do. than that, he said, your real mission for the rest of your life is to help bring together the two groups of ministers that are mentioned in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.1, walk worthy in the vocation wherein you are called. And he said, when I gave gifts to mankind in Ephesians 4.11-16, he said, I gave a gift to every man even unsaved men. Yeah. When I gave them life, I gave them a gift. And even unbelievers. Irrevocable gifts, right? Irrevocable. I mean, uh, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Yeah. And so he said, I want you to work to bring together the two groups of ministers, those that live and work in the church world, the traditional people who uh, they know pretty well how to do church. They just don't know how to prepare warriors that go not to a secular job, but to a ministry every day in the marketplace. Mm. And uh, I said, well, where, where, where is the type of that Ephesians 4 uh, in the Old Testament? I said, if, you know— it, the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. We know that as Bible uh, students. And he said, it's, it's, in the, it's in the Old Testament tabernacle, but he said, I want you, first of all, I want you to read Genesis twenty two seventeen and twenty four sixty, Because I was frustrated, Brian. I said, Lord, uh, the, the church is getting their butt kicked every day out in the marketplace. We're supposed to dominate, and yet we're being told what to do. The church is barely tolerated anymore out there, and we used to be celebrated. When I was a kid going to grade school, we read the Bible. Our teacher read the Bible every day. Yeah. We, we said to our father, we prayed, we honored country, we honored God. You couldn't run for dog catcher if you weren't a church-going person. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but I said, what's changed? He said, you've lost the place of influence. So I, I went to Genesis 22. I mean, this is right now in our culture. 
right now. I mean, you're, we're not just talking about a nice little topic today. No. We're, we're addressing the ache of America. And the church uh, has, I tell my wife fairly often, I said, when is the church going to stop defining what the problem is and start talking about what the solution is yeah. and the strategy? And I hear from church leaders all the time, well, we need more prayer and we need revival in the church. I said, if prayer and revival were the answer, then they would have never had to have left the upper room. Because you talk about a prayer meeting, there's never been a prayer meeting since then. Uh, But they didn't. The Lord said, okay, I've empowered you now. So now I want you to go out to the streets of Jerusalem. So they spilled out of the upper room, and you get to Acts 17, verse 6, and it says, they that have turned the world upside down have come here also. And so um, in Genesis uh, he's given the blessing to Abraham, and he said, you will possess the gate of your enemy. Two chapters later, a generation later, because the Lord wanted us to make sure we get it. It's not just for one generation, it's for all generations. And, and this speaks to me because it's part of our identity as the priesthood in this day and age. Is that I can go back to the found, the founding father of this entire thing that God appointed as Abraham and go, look at this. We're supposed to be possessing the gates of our enemy. Yeah, and, um, you know, he was a businessman, a very successful businessman. Yeah. yeah. But Rebecca is getting ready to go back to be the wife of Isaac, and the last thing her family said to her was, may your children be thousands of tens of thousands, and may they possess the gates of those who hate them. Then the Lord said, now go to Matthew 16, verse 18. Read it, read it again. Jesus was talking, and he said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He said, the church has lost its influence in the gates. Now, so, you, you actually, I don't want to, you've actually identified the gates as three key gates. There are three key gates, but there are 345 references to gates in the Old Testament. 345. 345 that I could find. Because I've studied them now for about 17 years. Yeah, you wrote a book on it. Wrote a book, <laughs> Possessing the Gates of Your Influence. And hey, what kind of website can we find you at? Um, I have two websites, one for my coaching, leadership coaching, called Dave Robinson, or CoachDaveRobinson.com. And the other one is um, um, Possessing the uh, Gates of Your Enemy, um, that website um, is all about um, having a five, six-hour day on how to possess the gates of influence um, uh, in your city and regain the moral high ground. Um, but, you know, the, the church in the New Testament for 345 years pretty well, they weren't split between clergy and laity. There was no split. There was Kleros and Laos, but there was no split. If you were saved, you were in full-time ministry. There was, there was no question. But we have lost, in America, we have lost our ability to give leadership as the church in the places it's needed most. So every city in the Old Testament had multiple gates, but everyone had at least these three One was business or commerce, and each of these gates opened up into a large roofed-over common area. 
And so where they did business or commerce, the next one was government, the judicial. When they took the rebellious son, they took him to the gate to be dealt with. Uh, any, anything that had to do with judicial was done at the judicial gate. And the third main gate was the educational gate where the young people were taught and, and trained. Uh, and so these three gates control every city in America, every city in the world. Business people pay for everything. Yeah. They pay for everything. I think it's Deuteronomy 8, 18. Uh, he giveth power to get wealth. Yeah. There are people who are gifted to be able to create wealth. They pay for everything. Governments control everything through laws and regulation. But the worldview, the philosophy, the values that both business people and government people use every day, they learned at the educational gate. And uh, so those three gates uh, control every city. Uh, I don't know of one city in America, there may be, but I don't know of any, where the principles of God's kingdom prevail. It's the principles of the kingdom of darkness that prevail. Every city council, every county commission, and every school board that I'm aware of. Now, there are a lot of good Christians that serve in those three areas, but they don't dominate. Um, They're a voice, but they're a dying voice. And um, the Lord told me, if you want to regain the moral high ground in America, the church must flood those three gates with warriors who know that God has called them. Now, Brian, you, you can go to your own church. You can go to any church anywhere in the world. Everybody sitting in those seats go to one of those three gates every day. There's only three. They either serve in business or they own a business. That's how they get their income. Or they serve in government, local, state, federal. Or they serve in the educational world. Those are only three. Yeah, I actually think it's really interesting when I hear how you lay all this out, and I actually love it, but you don't include the church as one of those gates of influence because the church is actually like an equipping center, equipping a family of people to go into these three spheres. I think you've labeled them perfectly to actually go in and and possess the gate. So actually be in possession of the influence of that dominion, right? Like to go in and dominate the influence. That's that's even probably foreign when people even hear, hear us talk about it that way. Dominate influence. Yeah. I mean, in, in, I had to apologize. I, I did it on behalf of pastors across America. I, I did the, I've done this many times to groups of business leaders, and I've made a public apologies for the way they've been treated by the church because we made a big mistake a long time ago when we started talking about sacred, uh, sacred and secular. Mm-hmm. And we started acting like what you do inside of a church is sacred and what you do outside is secular, and that's like not even biblical. And it's the most, it's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. And I'm like, there's been so many marketplace powerhouse people that don't know how to fit into the church. But I love how you don't put the church in that equation of the of the gates of influence because the church is actually it's it's a place to be equipped to go out and take those those pieces of land to go out and take. Well, those people gates. ask me, do you go to church? I said, I haven't figured out how to do that. (laughs) I said, we are the church. So when you say, did you go to church? 
what did we go to ourselves or right. <laughs> how do good. how do we do that? I said, Oh, you talk about assembling together. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But that building is not the church and and, and, yeah. and we call that room the sanctuary. I, I said, God lives here? I didn't know God lives here. I thought the text says he does not live in buildings made by the hands of men. So where is God when we leave? Is he still here? Is this the sanctuary? Now, I'm not going to quibble about you call the room whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I call it the locker room. Yeah, it's good. And so— uh, That's a better way to look at it. Well, it's the locker room or the training room, uh, the place where a lot of good things happen. It's development. It's all getting ready for game day. Yeah, which happens outside. Outside. Of the gathering, outside what of the building. What do we do? Right. We need to tear down the wall separation between Sunday and Monday. People talk about the wall separation between the church and and the world. Well, the reason that wall has been built in America is because we used to, when this country was founded, was founded, first of all, America was not founded as a Christian nation. It was founded as a nation of Christians. God did not want a, a theological framework. He wanted a country of Christians who possessed these places of influence, and they did. Our whole judicial system was written yeah. as a Judeo-Christian ethic. Very I mean, brilliantly written. Very. I mean, uh, America's still one of a kind, but how long? Right. Well, th- but this this podcast, this message, your book, all this is the solution. It's not too late if we get busy doing the work. The church can still... Hold the place of influence in in, uh, in America. We still have the majority, but the church is split down the middle. The church itself. Well, then there's the true church, and then there's the false or true believer, false believer. Well, it's an interesting. We have we have split. the the church, and I believe there are believers. On both sides of political issues oh, yeah, and, and, all, and yeah. all of that. But see, yep. we have lost the purpose for the church. See, when you asked, uh, I, I went through Bible school, I went through graduate school. I mean, I, you know, I'm still learning and, and I love to learn every day. But when God began to download that book, Idol in the Marketplace, which comes right out of Matthew 20, verse 1 through 7, when the keeper of the vineyard went out at this third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour. And if you're doing the number sequence, it should have been the twelfth hour, but he didn't. He went out again at the eleventh hour, meaning there's still time. But he said, I've seen some of you standing around here all day idle in the marketplace. You remember what the excuse was? I don't remember. No one will hire us. Oh, yeah, no one will hire us. He said, I offered to hire you at three, six, and nine, but you didn't go. You're here, but you're idle. So the church, as we understand it, Christians who are the containers of God's glory are in the marketplace. They're there. They have to if they want to eat regular. Yeah. Uh, But they don't know what they're doing as the body of Christ in the marketplace, because they've been told they have secular jobs, 
Well, first of all, if you understand the priesthood of all believers as it's taught, no one as a believer can have a secular job because when they touch, right. it becomes a sacred law. In fact, the Lord said, do everything, everything as if you're doing it for me. Yes, our work is actually a form of worship. Worship. Yeah, so. Well, the word uh, avadah, which is this Hebrew. Hebrew word for work and worship, same word. Yeah. God wants our worship to be our work and our work to be our worship. Yeah. And so all Sunday is, is a preparation. No, I mean, like, no matter what your work is, right? No matter like what it is. Like, if you're doing the work of a clerk or the work of, uh, you know, an accountant, whatever, wherever you find yourself. if you, it, it doesn't mean you have to be top-level CEO, business no. owner. Wherever you find yourself in the marketplace, even, like, being a school bus driver, whatever. Like, it's doing that work with joy, passion, showing up, being present, uh, being clear, being focused. And actually, to be honest with you, that's, those are the types of employees that excel. I mean, you get the attention of the people who are over you there if are you're people, in those roles. Absolutely. There are people to be reached at every level. Every level, that's right. And so I've had many, many businessmen uh, say to me, you know, Dave, he said, I, I'm just tired of being a resident ATM machine for my pastor. He <laughs> said, I love my pastor and I want to help him. But the only time I really get any attention is when he needs a project financed. Yeah, And then we go to coffee and we have lunch. Now, that's an exaggeration somewhat to make a point. But it happens. But it happens. And uh, we have to realize that if God's called you to live inside and work inside the church world, your mission in life is to train those people for the call that God has on their life that they go to every Monday through Saturday. I mean, it says it. We'll talk about this in other podcasts in more depth, but we can highlight it here because it fits in perfectly. But Ephesians 4 says to train them, equip them to do the work of the ministry. ministry. It's but, not, you know, and we get it backwards and, it's, you know, we think, oh, we're paying that guy and, and somehow paychecks really mess the whole thing up because if I'm leading a church or any type of, any type of church leadership, I'm there to equip the saints so that they can actually do the work. I'm not getting paid to do all the work. I'm actually equipping them to do the work in their spheres, in these areas of the gates. We have the misunderstanding that ministry takes place inside the facility. Yeah, it's very corrupt. And uh, it's done more to hinder world evangelism and discipleship than anything else I know, is that separation between Monday and Sunday. Um, no, we serve our family on when we gather together as the body of Christ. Well, you know, another, another thing I say, and I, I'm really passionate about this, but Christianity, the Christians, right? So you think about how the first century world when the church starts forming, the Christians, I mean, they never called themselves Christians. It was the outside world that saw their actions and started looking at them going, well, who are those people that are so different, filled with hope, filled with the, the, these bold witnesses of resurrection? Who are these people that are turning the world upside down? The, the world started to call them Christians, right? They started so, And they did that because it was based on their action. So Christianity was only meant to be a verb. Right. It never was never meant to be yeah, an adjective or a description. So Christian music, what's that? Christian church, I'm a Christian, what the heck is that? Like, if I have to put an adjective on what I am, you're misusing 
uh, Christian. You're misusing the name of Christ. It's you're not even supposed to call it. If your deeds don't show Christ and someone else doesn't call you it, then don't call yourself that. Do do us all a favor. <laughs> right. Yeah, put your five pound Bible away. Take <laughs> off the necklace. Take off the necklace. Don't wear the T-shirts because you're giving us all a bad reputation. Right. We don't care how pretty your Instagram post looks on your Bible devotion if you're not actually doing the work. Oh man, you got me fired up because you know you're talking about in prayer and revival. Prayer is very. It's a very centerpiece, right? We can't dismiss ourselves from prayer, but prayer fuels us to go and take like like me as a man. I want to have the picture of being a warrior. I want to have that thing alive in my life. I was created to fight battles. I was created to stand ground and to take ground and to actually, I was created to do that. And I was created to do it in an emotional, intelligent, savvy, psychological kind of way, right? There's psychological warfare, right? There's a way to do it in the gates of influence. There's a way to be a man of God without being all churchy and religious about it. It's a, I mean, if you don't bring this is, real, this is a topic that fires me up and should fire up our podcast listeners because, absolutely. because this is the mission. We're talking about the mission of going out. Like you said, business, government, business, government, and education. education. I mean, that's it right there. You nailed it, right? Like we, we get a little off in all these, uh, the mountain talks and I'm not against all that necessarily, but you have brilliantly boiled it down to the essence of, of what it is. And that's it right there. Because if you're going to go take the mountain of, mark of, of uh, media, well, that's a business, right? You know, if you're going to go do something in government, well, that's a government, right? I mean, in education, dude, we need so much help in that area. We need believers. Like even right now in Illinois, they're, they're getting ready to pass laws to even silence the mouths of uh, any type of believer in the education system. Oh, Anybody that disagrees with their propaganda. And, and that's right now, that's on the table. That's, on, that's in Springfield. That's happening. I just got a report the other day, and it's like, you know, us believers have to start taking the land back, start taking the ground. And so when you talked about this, and you, I didn't know you had a book. I'm going to read your book. I'm going to devour it. I would encourage everybody who's listening to this to get David Robinson's book, Possessing the Gates. Go to your website. It sounds like you got a website that's full of solutions for us. Well, I have a website full of options. Options. So, Solution uh, every, options. Every, every soldier has <laughs> to right. decide whether he Our wants tactics. to load his gun. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, so you have a tactical website to possess the gates. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I love it. I want to regain the moral high ground in America. When the righteous are in power, the people rejoice. When evil is in power, the people mourn. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm tired of seeing the country that I put my life on the line for destroyed. Yeah, and my we, grandkids. And we live in the land of Illinois of the morning. <laughs> right? we, there's a lot to mourn about this land. A lot to mourn about. <laughs> but we don't. Okay, so you see the problem. You focus on the problem for a few seconds, right? And then you bring the solution. You bring the solution. And the this- strategy for that is in the book. It's just a little ninety-page book. It's what I. It's a giveaway book uh, that when we do the, uh, you know, the half-day get-togethers on how to regain the moral high ground in your city. It's, it's a book I give away to everybody that comes because it is the biblical strategy. It's not the only one, but I couldn't find one on how we yeah, take the, back. Strategies are hard to find out there. They're very hard to find. And so the Lord said, well, I'll just give it to you and you write one. So yeah, it's out there. Thank God. And, uh, well, one of the things I was passionate about in this story are this— this whole identity that we have as believers. 
because it's God's about a, a people. He's forming a people. It's always about the plurality. That's why the gatherings are important. Absolutely. It's important for the, it's, it is important for us to come together. We get life out of lifting high the name of God and celebrating the beauty and the wonder and the power. And, and, you know, hopefully you're, you're engaged in some type of apostolic prophetic culture in your gatherings, you know, where there's a, I don't know where it's stirred. And I don't, you know, we'll talk about that on another podcast, but you know, what is your thoughts on the apostolic gift? I mean, what is your passions about that pertaining to these three areas? I'm not big on titles, but I am big on giftings. So I would never call myself an apostle. I'll let other people decide right. whether they want to do that or not. But the apostolic gift. I say they shouldn't do it, but yeah. <laughs> I'm opinionated. Yeah. Um, but the apostolic gift, when uh, when I asked the Lord, where is the type in the Old Testament? He said, go to the tabernacle in the wilderness, and I'll give you 30 seconds on where that is. There are three parts in the Old Testament tabernacles, the holiest of holies, the holy place, and the outer court. He said, there's this... There are the five gifts. In the holiest of holies is the apostolic gift, not because it's better, but someone had to be first. Yeah. And so that's where the title that's exactly right. It's where the title of the book came from. If you truly have an apostolic gifting, you're like the abominable snowman. You're rarely seen, <laughs> but your footprints are everywhere. It's influence. In the holy place, there's the table of showbread and the golden candlestick. The table of showbread is the seven loaves uh, or 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe. The logos, the bread of life, that's what the teacher does. He teaches the logos. But it's pitch dark until the golden candlestick is lit. Then when the golden candlestick is lit, it brings revelation. Revelation to what? The logos. So the real power of the prophetic gifted person is the ability to help the teacher turn the logos into rhema. Now, those are the three gifts in in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. He set first in the church apostles, prophets, teachers. Go to the outer court. The big center of attraction is the brazen altar, the altar of sin sacrifice. It's where the pastor stands. He helps people get healed from sin, the effects of sin. Mm. Well, the other four gifts Such wouldn't have good. anything to so, do. So good, man. <laughs> the other four gifts wouldn't have anything to do if it wasn't for the evangelist. People yeah. said, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I said, nobody does. It's not a gift. It's what the evangelist does. Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Share the gospel as God gives the opportunity. So those are the five gifts, and they work well. And uh, they work well in the marketplace among unbelievers, too. We can do that in a future podcast. But. Yeah, and, I, and I think uh, one of the passions I— that really, this actually got me into developing the message of possessing the gates. Was actually Psalm one twenty seven verse five it talks about how God's building a house and how children are a heritage from the Lord. And it gets you know they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. And verse five is blessed. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And then it says he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And that really got me intrigued because I was like, he won't be put to shame if he's due diligent and he's raising up kingdom warriors. He's actually seen children, sons and daughters of his own and, and kingdom sons and daughters. Like you said, God called you to be a father and you're, you're in tune with this. And so, you know, this man's blessed and it says he won't be put to shame. So I started asking like, well, so if you don't do this, there might be shame. You could actually encounter shame in your life if you're not being a diligent father to actually see the arrows 
the, the warriors as arrow, the arrows as warriors. And it just blew my mind to think about, I, I just kept imagining it, imagining it. I'd pray about it. And I was thinking about it. I was like, stand with this enemy in the gate. So you think about the gate of business, the gate of government, you know, the gate of education. And, and I was just sitting there thinking, I had this like picture in my mind of like a gate, these places of influence, and there's the enemy. And I'm, I'm, I'm not a man that has any shame because I've done due diligence. I've honored my father in heaven. And my quiver's full. And God just showed me like the quiver represents bloodlines. It represents uh, spiritual sons and daughters, your own bloodline. It represents that even after I pass, I've got bloodlines coming at this gate, you know. So my passion to take this land and dominate and conquer it is not going anywhere. <laughs> the church is a lot like the tribe of Ephraim. It says, I believe in Psalm 77, Ephraim was trained for war, but they turned back in the day of battle. You know, Ephraim was supposed to lead Israel, not Judah. But I believe when hmm. Ephraim turned back in the day of battle, God chose Judah. He chose Judah, yeah. Chose Judah. but um, The lion of the tribe of Judah, right? Yeah. And one of the thoughts I had in my message that I had put together, and just want to put this out there, that you cannot possess the gates of your enemy if the enemy possesses the gates of your own heart, you know, Jesus said very clearly, there's nothing of you in me. You know, he said that to, to the enemy. So we've got to live diligent, devoted disciples and keep our hearts clean, keep our hands pure. And, and then go into these places of influence, knowing that we're equipped by God to, to have the intelligence and the psychology and the power of the Holy spirit to actually take these grounds. All the things that the church does when they gather together, all of that needs to continue and even be stronger. Yeah, but I we agree. have to never forget what the purpose of God's people, and that is possess those places of influence. Well, thanks for being on the podcast today. Thank you, You've Bernard. got some great resources, and uh, I encourage all of you to check out David Robinson. He'll be with us, uh, like I said, as many times as I can do this. Until next time, live upright.